this, uh, this week, we're going to finish off, we'll be doing a series on the Lord's Prayer, as most of you will uh, remember, hopefully. And this week we're going to finish off that series, um, and with the, the last verse in the Lord's Prayer, which is, uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, which sounds quite um, sinister, really, doesn't it? But it actually fits in quite well with the worship, because um, we're going to be looking at God's faithfulness and the fact that he is trustworthy. You'll have to bear with me, because this is the first time I've, I've preached from the iPad, so... That's a bit weird. I might come over here because it, it, yes, I, I remembered that actually just before I came out and plugged it in, so that was lucky. Right, I'm going to start off by telling you a little, a little story. In 1974, a Japanese soldier emerged from the jungles of Lubang Island, a small island off the coast of the Philippines, and handed himself over to the Filipino authorities. Lieutenant Hiro Onoda had refused to surrender after the US um, Army retook the island in February 1945 and had fled into the dense jungle with three of his men. For nearly 30 years, he waged a war, a guerrilla war, a campaign of guerrilla warfare, attacking soldiers, local police officers, and committing acts of sabotage such, um, such as burning the rice crops of local farmers. Repeated attempt to persuade the men to surrender failed. Leaflets and letters from friends and family were considered to be either forgeries or sent under coercion by the enemy. The soldiers simply could not accept that Japan had capitulated. In 1974, the Japanese government sent retired army major Yoshimi Taniguchi to meet with Anoda, the last survivor of his, of his group, and to relieve him of duty. He was granted a full pardon by Filipino President Ferdinand Marcos and returned to Japan later that year to a hero's welcome. Interesting bit of history. But, um, I mean, I remember as a kid being fascinated by stories like that. I heard, I remember hearing stories of these kind of Japanese holdouts um, who had carried on fighting the war and being fascinated by them. And after the war, there were hundreds of soldiers like Lieutenant Onoda, um, who continued to hold out and fight. Um, even though victory had been won by the, the Allies, um, they refused to surrender. And the situation on the ground had to catch up with the reality of the Allied victory. And we're part of a kingdom, aren't we? We're part of the kingdom of God. Um, our enemy has been completely defeated. At the cross, Jesus disarmed and triumphed over the powers and authorities of darkness, putting them to shame. And Colossians tells us that the defeat of the devil and his angels was humiliating and complete. That's Colossians 2.15. And through the cross, um, it says, Jesus has rescued us from the devil's dominion and brought us into his kingdom of light. That's in Colossians 1. However, that victory is still being worked out in the world. The enemy is defeated, but he continues to resist. Um, and Revelation 12 tells us uh, that it actually says woe to, to, the, to us who are on the earth because the devil has been um, thrown down to earth and he is in great wrath and he knows his time is short. So woe, I, mean, I think it's like watch out, be careful. The devil is not very happy, he's very angry. He knows his time is short and he's out to make trouble um, for the people of God. 
I guess he's a bit like one of those annoying people um, when you play board games who know they're not going to win. They start sabotaging it, spoiling it. You know, like they start, I don't know if you play Monopoly, and then um, they know they're not going to win, so they sell all of their properties for one pound or something to, to, your, to, to your rival. And, then, you know, it's just really annoying. My wife's not in here, so she is the worst, that kind of... At not playing properly till the end. That's how I was brought up. But, um, so it's kind of like that, but, but more evil. Um, <laughs> an evil version. I'm not saying my wife's evil. Please. Um, yeah, so we have a defeated enemy who's enraged and wants to inflict ma- maximum damage while he can. And this is the context in which Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer isn't just a, a series of isolated prayer points. It's, um, it's a kingdom prayer. Um, if you want to read it, I'm going to read it now. I haven't got a PowerPoint. It's Matthew um, 6, verse 9 to 13. And this is Jesus talking to his disciples, telling them how to pray. Jesus said, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. So you've got this kingdom prayer. It's all linked. Verse 9 is the kingdom vision. Hallowed be your name. Your name be praised. Your name be honoured in all the nations across the world. You know, um, God's promise, his promise was that um, the knowledge of his glory would fill the earth. We want God to be worshipped everywhere. We want his name to be revered. We want his name to be lifted up. We want him to be honoured. And then verse 10 is our mission. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's our mission as God's people on earth. To see his kingdom go out. To see his justice, his mercy, his power on the earth. And Steve spoke last week about healing. And then we prayed for the sick. And we prayed for some sick people. And, you know, we've seen people healed. Amen. 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 And the kingdom advances through us, through his, through his people. And especially through Margaret, Margaret Green, <laughs> I think. But it does. When, when we're at work, when we're at the shops, in, the, in our streets, in the pub, wherever we are, we're at the sharp end of the kingdom. We're living by faith. And, you know, as the other verses then say, um, verses 11 and 12, where um, we're trusting in God's provision, living by faith, um, forgiving as we've been forgiven. And then we get to verse 13, which is our verse today. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And Jesus gives us that, you know, you've got to remember, Jesus has given that prayer, that Lord's prayer to us, to equip us um, for our, our, our life, for, um, for our kingdom mission. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we need, we need, um, so we're living out the reality of Christ's victory, um, in the face of opposition. And Jesus told us to expect opposition. He told us to expect to be persecuted as he had been persecuted. But the word actually here for evil, um, yeah, the, the verse actually says this evil, and it's a nomin- nominative it's used in a nominative sense. It's like a title. So it's better translated, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, which some versions say. 
So Jesus is saying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Deliver us from Satan. You know, he's called Satan. It means the opposer, the one who's opposing God's kingdom. Deliver us from the devil, as he's called in the New Testament, the accuser of the brothers, the slanderer, the father of lies. And Paul calls him the God of this world. And the two halves of the verse are connected, almost like a seesaw, pivoting on the butt. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. They're connected. The implication being that, don't, so we're asking God, don't lead us into temptation. Instead, deliver us from the evil one. And when Jesus says temptation, the Greek has a wider meaning than just temptation to sing. Uh, to, to sing. I'm, I'm always tempted to sing. <laughs> but, um, temptation to sin. You know, the kind of traditional, um, the traditional um, interpretation, that kind of enticement to sin. Um, but it also means to test, to provoke, to put on trial, to afflict. It also means hardship. So Jesus is saying, lead us not into temptation to sin, lead us not into hardship, into trouble, into affliction, but deliver us from our enemy, the evil one. And anyone who's read anything of the Bible will know that the Bible is full of um, verses telling us to not only to expect suffering and hardship in this life, but also that, that suffering and hardship is good for us, that it's part of um, it's part of what God has ordained for our good and for our development. Um, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1 6 that um, we must, that we, it, sometimes it's necessary to go through um, trials, hardships, in order to prove that our faith is genuine, to, to show that, you know, our, the faith that we have is genuine and that we're really trusting God and we're putting Him first. 2 Corinthians 4.17 tells us that these lighter momentary troubles, the, the troubles that we have on earth, are, are, um, are storing up in heaven an eternal weight of glory, something that's going to glorify Jesus forever. It's the gift that keeps on giving. I know that some people say, oh, here's the gift that keeps on giving, but that is really the gift that keeps on giving, that, that what we endure, what we go through uh, on, on earth, somehow glorifies, not only glorifies God in our lives now, but will glorify him forever. And uh, the Bible also tells us that, that um, uh, suffering, hardship, um, is good for us, that it changes us, that it trains, it trains us, that it disciplines us. Hebrews 12 and um, James 1 tell us this. Um, and it also tells us that Jesus was made perfect through the things that he suffered. So it's a strange, strange verse, Hebrews 2 verse 10, that Jesus should be made perfect. He was never imperfect, and yet there were things that he had to go through, um, hardships, troubles, suffering, that refined his character, that caused him to grow in authority. You know, it says that he, he grew, he, he, um, in his, his reputation grew before men and before God. And we're called to follow him. He said, take up your cross and follow me. If you, if you want to follow me, you've got to take up your cross. It's part of the journey to share in his sufferings. Can I have an amen? It's a hard one to amen to, isn't it? Yeah. It's, but it's sobering. But it's, that's what the Bible says. But temptation and endurance through suffering are 
both opportunities to defeat the, def- the devil, to demonstrate faith um, during adversity, trusting that our Father knows best. So, you know, actually, fundamentally, there's not a real difference between, you know, resisting temptation to sin and trusting in God in hardship. Ultimately, the foundation for both of those things is, is saying, God knows best. I'm trusting him. He says, don't do that. He knows best. He says, I need to go through this. I'll trust him. I'll trust his faithfulness, as we were singing about earlier. And I know that, that, that you know, there's uh, probably all of us have got, you know, have, 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 are either going through um, hard times or have been through hard times and can testify to God's faithfulness. The psalmist says, the steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. Coming to that position of saying, do you know what? Even my life, even, even death, you know, my life, it's, it's nothing compared to the steadfast love of the Lord. So, having said that, that's kind of the introduction. So, if, um, so if suffering, testing, temptation are good for us, if they're part of our calling, if temptation is an opportunity to defeat the devil and to prove that God, God is trustworthy and true, then why does Jesus tell us here to ask the Father not to lead us into temptation, not to lead us into te- times of testing? It's a bit of a conundrum. Um, and I, wanna, I just want to look at three reasons why, not exhaustive reasons, but they're just three reasons that I feel um, God has given me, because I came to this saying, well, why, why then? Why do we pray this? Um, three reasons why that Jesus is, is telling us to, to, um, to ask the Father not to take us into those times of testing and, and, and trial. The first one is that it demonstrates an understanding of who he is and our relationship with him as his children. The second is that Jesus wants us to take responsibility for our own spiritual welfare. And the third is that it's an essential part of submitting ourselves to God's will. So, demonstrating our understanding of who he is, taking responsibility for our own spiritual welfare, and um, an essential part of submitting ourselves to God's will. So let's look at each of those points. So firstly, demonstrating an understanding of who he is and our relationship with him as his children. Jesus tells us that if we ask, we get. If we seek, we find. If we knock, the door will be opened. And he says that we have, a, as part of that same um, sermon that Jesus gave, he says, we have a generous father who loves to, who delights to give us what we asked for. He says, if you being evil, you dads are evil compared to the father. Um, you give your kids food when they ask for food. We have, a, we have a, a game in our house where we did this story around the table and then they decided they were going to ask me for my sausages, you see. And they were testing me. So now I have to, if they ask me for my sausages, I have to give them my sausages because <laughs> I have to prove, you know, I have to show them that, that me being evil um, will give my sausages to my kids. 
how much more will the Father in heaven not give them the Holy Spirit? So, um, yeah, so if you're over for dinner and we're having sausages, don't try it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, yeah, so we have a, fa- a Father in heaven who delights to give us what we ask for. And I was also struck preparing this this, um, this week that God isn't British. Um, he's not. I'm sure he was very excited about Mo Farah's, you know, historic victory and Tom Daly's bronze medal. But um, God is not British. When British people invite people over for dinner, they don't always mean it. They say things like, Oh, yeah, you should, we should get together, we should have you over, or, you know, the British people often say things, that's the polite thing to say, and you're never quite sure whether they mean it or not. But God isn't like that. When God invites you to the marriage banquet, you know, of the Lamb, um, at the end of time, you're invited, you can come. So, God isn't British. But, also, there's something that really honours God when we come to Him, when we assume that He's generous. If you needed to borrow something, a lawnmower or something, and you'd ask lots of people in the church, and they said, no, sorry, mine's broken, or da 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 and then, you know, so you went and bought one, and then I found out that you didn't ask me, I'd be offended, wouldn't I? I said, well, why didn't you ask me? I've got a lawnmower, it's pretty good. I'd have lent it to you. But if you'd have assumed that, oh, Steve won't lend his lawnmower out, because he gets so much use, you know. It's almost brand new. It almost looks brand new. Steve's not going to lend his lawnmower out. I'd be offended. And it's the same, you know, when we come to God and we, and we, we, we come with our petitions and our prayers and assume that he is generous, it honours him. I heard a story about Alexander the Great, um, the great general um, who conquered a lot of Europe and northern Africa and um, across, all the way across to India. And he agreed, one of his generals had... had pleased him, and he agreed to pay the wedding, uh, pay for this general's wedding. And the general came and told him how much he wanted. And it was far, 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 far more than a normal wedding would cost. But Alexander the Great said, okay, I'll pay it. Great. And once this general had gone, one of the, one of, um, the stewards that waited and attended upon Alexander the Great said, what are you doing? That's far too expensive for a wedding. He's, you know, he's taking the mickey. You know, why are you paying that? And Alexander the Great said, when he asks me for that much money, it honours me. Because first of all, he's assuming that I'm generous. And secondly, um, he's assuming that I'll pay it. Do you know what I mean? He, sorry, firstly, he's assuming that I'm rich. And secondly, he's assuming that I'm generous and that I'll pay it. And it's the same with God. When we come to him um, and we ask him, it honours him. It, as- it assumes he's... He, he, that he's rich and that he's generous. So God, does God change his mind? Does God change his mind? So can we come to him and say, you know, lead us not into temptation? Can we change his mind? Well, I phrase it as a question because I think it would be theologically ill-advised to say he does. But there's a story in um, 2 Kings 20 where King Hezekiah is sick and um, the prophet Isaiah comes to tell him, put your house in order, God has decreed you're going to die. 
that this is it. So you've got time to put your house in order, sort your affairs out, appoint your successor, and then die. And Hezekiah um, got down on his knees and wept before God because Hezekiah was one of the few kings of Israel, um, who kings of Judah, who um, actually served God and followed God. And he prayed to God for mercy. And it says in uh, verse 4, And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle of the court, before he'd got out of the palace, the word of the Lord came to him, Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, behold, I will heal you. On the third day um, you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the king, um, out of the hands of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. So there you've got an example of the prophet had delivered his message, but before he could even get out of the palace, God sent him back. And, um, and, and the circumstance had changed in response to Hezekiah's prayer. And actually Hezekiah got more than he asked for. He didn't just get his healing, he got deliverance from the king of Assyria as well. And God loves to give us more than actually we can even ask for, more than we can even imagine. If we didn't believe that God um, will change things when we pray, why did we pray for healing last week? You know, Steve's sermon encouraged us last week to pray for healing, that God wants to heal, that he wants to answer our prayers for healing. Psalm 50, 15 says, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. So there's a precursor to being delivered, and that's crying out to God. And the result is glory to him when he delivers us. So, whether we endure suffering by faith, demonstrating that he is trustworthy and good and true, or whether we call to our Father in heaven and by his grace and mercy he intervenes and he rescues us, either way he's glorified. Can you see that? Either way he's glorified. It's win-win. So there's one reason to um, to pray to the Lord to, to spare us from testing and temptation. Second reason, taking responsibility for our own spiritual life. Um, in Acts 1, after Jesus had um, told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem, he said, wait here until you get power from on high, stay in Jerusalem. He, went, he ascended and he, and he went up into the clouds. And it says the disciples were standing around looking up because probably they'd never seen a man fly into the clouds before. And it says that two angels appeared and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come the same way as you saw him go. And I always think that's a bit rude, because I think it's a bit, you know, it's a bit mean. Why are, you, why, are you standing around, why are you standing looking up into the sky? Well, I just saw a man fly into the clouds. It's, a, it's fair, I, I think, I don't, you know. But, the, but the, the, the angels tell them, stop looking around and... Um, oh, hold on. Stop looking around and, um, and get on with it. And it says that in verse, in verse 14, it says that they then gather together in, in an upper room. There's about 120 of them. And they devote... Um, they, it says they, they say, all these... 
All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So they got together and they prayed. So waiting for them wasn't sitting around chatting about the old days. It was praying. It was taking hold of the kingdom of God, taking hold of the promise that Jesus said, I'm going to pour out my spirit, my power on you, and and, and I'm dragging those things into the now. They were, um, they were proactive. And, uh, in fact, I'd say prayer is participating with God. So another, I've got a few theologically dubious questions. Another question is, <laughs> does God pray? Does God pray? It's an interesting question. Does God pray? In Isaiah 62.1 it says, For Zion's sake, this is God speaking, to the prophet Isaiah, um, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. So it's not prayer in the conventional sense. God has no one to pray for, um, no one to pray to. But it is a prayer in the sense that um, God has com- committed to speak out and not to keep quiet, to declare something until it happens. And then later in chapter, uh, in the same chapter, in verse, verses six and seven, God charges his people. He says, take no rest and give your, uh, and give him no rest until he establishes the Jerusalem and makes it, um, a praise in the earth. It's almost like he wants us to share in his responsibility. He's committed to declaring, um, to declaring something until, um, it, until it comes to, comes to pass. And he wants us to join with him. He wants us to pray for it. He wants us to, to give him no rest, to pray to him, to hassle him until he makes it, um, happen. I love it when the boys help me with DIY or jobs around the house. Um, I like to teach them from my limited knowledge and skills. Um, but I, like, I just enjoy being with them. I enjoy them helping me. Um, even though they slow me down, you know, it's a fun, it's a fun thing to do. It's, you know, and God's the same. He wants to involve us in His mission. He wants to involve us in His responsibilities. But He also wants us to take responsibility for ourselves. The Christian life isn't a passive one. The writer of the Hebrews um, tells off the church that he's writing to for not being mature in their understanding. He says, you're unweaned, you're still on milk, you should be on solid food. He's, he expects them that they, he expects that they should have learnt, grown, and been able to teach others by now, but they hadn't. And James 1, 13 to, um, verse, verses 13 to 15 tells us, let no one say when, when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So James is saying that temptation comes as a result of of our own desires. The things we want, or the things that we think we want, the things that we think will satisfy us and make us happy produce temptation and give birth to sin. And if you're trying to resist sin at surface level, if 
You know, if we merely try and change our behaviour, while deep down our desires are telling us that we really need something else other than God, that we really want something else other than God, that pornography will satisfy our, us emotionally when we're hurt, that an inappropriate relationship will give me the sense of worth and value that I crave, or that gossiping will get me justice in the office once everybody knows what really happened and what that person's really like, then it's too late. Because sanctification is a work of the heart. And you have to attack the roots um, of your desires to deal with sin. You've probably heard the story of Jason and Orpheus. Um, you know that in Greek mythology there were the sirens that used to sing. And you know sailors would become so entranced with the song that they would veer off course and crash on the rocks. And Ulysses, when he was trying to get back from the battle of um, from the Trojan War, um, he had to go past the um, the sirens. And so, basically, him and his men tied themselves to the mast and they plugged their ears with, with um, wax. And, they, and, they, and as they were going past the island and the sirens were singing, you know, they, Ulysses was trying to break free from his tethers because he wanted to veer off. He wanted to go, um, he wanted to go over to the sirens. And he had to endure that way. Whereas Jason um, was given some advice when he, when he had to sail past the, um, the island with the sirens. He was told to take Orpheus, who played the most amazing, beautiful music um, in the world. And so when the, Jason's boat approached um, the sirens and, and they started to hear the sirens singing, they told Orpheus to play. And the music of Orpheus drowned out the sirens and was more beautiful even than the, than, than the songs of the sirens. And Jason and his men passed through unscathed. And that's like a picture of sin. You can spend your life trying to tie yourself to the mast, trying, trying to, you know, you're looking saying, oh, I really want to go over there, but I shouldn't. I don't want to do that, but I, I really want to do that, but I shouldn't. Trying to find ways of tying yourself up and, and, you know, deep down in your heart, that's what you really want, and you're serving God out of some kind of duty. Or you can come to God, and you can, and He can, He can be the one that satisfies you. He can be your desire, um, and He can drown out the voices of those other things. Um, so, till in the end, they just they look like rubbish. Um, so praying, lead us not into temptation, is also about asking the Holy Spirit to change me from deep within. It's about giving him permission to renew my mind, to change my desires, um, to change me from being self-interested and self-centred, and to give me desires for him, for him to be all-sufficient for me. And when we say lead us as well, that is kind of corporate um, you know, just a reminder that we should confess our sins with our friends and pray for one another as well. It should be a safe place. We're a family. It should be a safe place. It should have, you know, to find people who can stand with us and to pray with us. And it's also, when we pray, lead us not into temptation, we should all, you know, we should also come with the prayer of Psalm 139 where we say, search me, O God, know my heart, try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting, giving permission to God to change us. So when Jesus tells us to pray for deliverance from the evil one, to ask to be spared from temptation, he is telling us not to be passive about our hearts, to expose ourselves to his light, 
to help and um, to seek help and support, and not just to allow him to identify and change us, but to actively seek that as well. And then last point, it's essential, um, praying to the Father to spare us from temptation and deliver us from evil is an essential part of submitting ourselves to God's will. If we pray to be spared from temptation, testing, hardship, and our prayer isn't answered, is that a problem? If we say, Lord, you know, don't, don't let me go through this problem, this temptation, um, and that prayer isn't answered, is it a waste of time? Is it a worthless prayer? To which I'd answer no, as you probably expected. Just think about the prayer that Jesus prayed um, in the Garden on the Mount of Olives just before he was crucified, when he withdrew from the disciples. And it says he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. When confronted with the cross, Jesus himself asked God for another way. He asked God, don't lead me through this temptation. Don't lead me through this brutal affliction of the, uh, this affliction of the cross. Temptation to lie. I always think that. I don't know if you've seen the Passion of the Christ. That point, it really came home to me where there's a, a point where, um, one of the, I think it's the high priest or someone says to Jesus, are you the Christ? And he pauses, Jesus pauses for a moment. And you can almost see, actually, Jesus, if he'd have said no, he could have, he could have walked away from it all. They would have been happy. He could have gone free. But actually telling the truth at that point, you know, he was signing his, his death warrant in a way. And he says, yes, I am, as you say. And the physical savagery of being whipped by the Romans, let alone being hung on a cross and executed by them. The spiritual torment of being torn apart from his father, exposed to our sin. And yet he said, not my will, but yours be done. And despite his agony at the prospect, Hebrews 12 tells us that um, we should look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before, that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So through his submission to the Father's plan, he was able to find joy in his darkest hours. It was joy set before him. Joy knowing that he was doing the Father's will. Joy knowing that he was um, defeating the enemy. Joy knowing that he would bring many sons to glory, many people into his kingdom. Salvation for today, I think they estimate billions, billions of Christians today. And that somehow knowing that he, he, that, that the Father had heard his prayer, and that knowing that even though he prayed that, the Father had decided that that was the best way, and that he needed to go through with the cross, gave him strength. And an angel was sent to strengthen him. I remember when, um, just before we had Theo, after we'd had Dylan, 
um, Trudy was pregnant. And this is probably a story that, that, that some of you, I'm sure, um, will be, um, be able to relate to. Um, Trudy was pregnant with, um, well, Trudy was pregnant and I was away. I travel around a lot for work and I was actually away and I got a call from Trudy saying, can you come home? Um, because, you know, I'm, I'm bleeding. And, and I remember the journey home. I had a long journey home in the car and, you know, I, I was probably speeding. I don't know. It was a bit, it's a bit of a blur, but, you know, speeding home, wanting to get home to Trudy, find out what was happening and praying just the whole way saying, Lord, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't take this baby. Don't take this baby. And I prayed like that for a while, maybe an hour. And then I just had this sudden sense of peace, real kind of peace. I can't explain it. It was, you know, like the verse says, it passed understanding. I just had this real sense of peace. I knew that God was with me. I knew that God God was with us. The Holy Spirit was with us in this. And we we, we lost the baby. We did lose the baby. Um, but just that sense of, of peace and having prayed those prayers, kind of taken hold of God, but just having that sense of being able to trust Him. It was His, it was, it was, it was His grace really. And yes, emotionally still felt battered and bruised, but, but spiritually just having a, having a sense of peace that, that kind of, that kind of went past all of that. So this prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, should be an intimate prayer. It's not a demand. If you really loved me, you would do this for me. It's a prayer of submission, like Christ, a heartfelt plea for another way. But it's also a safe place. You know, we can come into that place of prayer. And it's, it's a place of safety. It's a place where we trust the Father knows best. And where we can come out of it saying, not my will, but yours be done. So there are three kind of reasons why it's a good prayer to pray. Other, apart from the fact that Jesus told us to do it, which is probably the best one. (laughs) So maybe, maybe you don't pray. Maybe you're not someone who prays. Maybe you don't believe it would work. Go and talk to Kate and talk to Margaret first. And uh, maybe you need faith. Maybe you need faith that God is listening. You know, there was a leper that came to Jesus and said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. I love that story. If you're willing. He knew Jesus was able. He knew Jesus could do it. He didn't doubt that. But what he doubted was, is Jesus willing to help me, to heal me? Maybe you need that faith this morning. Maybe... Maybe you need to start taking responsibility for your spiritual welfare. Maybe you're being passive. Maybe you need to be proactive about rooting out sin, about pursuing Jesus with your whole heart. There's a verse that says that the eyes of God roam across the world looking for those whose heart are um, turned towards him so he can strengthen them. Why don't you turn your heart towards God this morning and... Ask him for grace. Ask him for grace to help you to start um, rooting out sin, to, to root down into those desires that he would be your all in all. Um, and maybe you are going for a really tough time at the moment and you want deliverance and you need people to stand with you. Paul says, um, I, think in, I think it's 1 Corinthians 10, 
he says um, um, that that we the temptation we experience is common to man. We don't go through anything that's not uncommon. And he, the writer of Hebrews as well says that Jesus was tempted in every way. So you might feel really isolated. You might feel I'm like the I'm the only person that's ever gone through this. Um, that's one of the devil's tricks to make you feel isolated. But actually, you know, we're a family. We can stand with each other. When Jesus told um, the Pharisees off, saying, you know, you're trying to take specks of dust out of people's eye while you've got a log in yours, um, he said, take the log out of your eye first. Then you can help people. That basically, that when you've been through something, when you've dealt with an issue... That puts you in the perfect position to then help others who have been through it because you can empathise, you know what they're going through. You can do it in a way that's a lot less judgmental. So maybe you need to find people here in the family to stand with you and pray for you. Or maybe you just you need that, that sense of peace that passes understanding. The Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is here. Do you want to stand? I'll just close in prayer. Jesus, we just want to start by thanking you that in that garden you said, not my will but yours be done. That confronted with all the terror of the cross, physical and spiritual terror, Lord Jesus, you said I'd do it. I'll do it for them. And I'll do it for you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Where would we be? Where would we be if you hadn't? Thank you for your victory on the cross. Thank you for rescuing us from the devil's dark domain and bringing us into your kingdom of light. Thank you for crowning our lives with your love and your mercy. Thank you for your resurrection, which secures for us a resurrection from the dead, eternity with you enjoying you, being with you forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father, that you love us, that we can trust you. Thank you that you have our best interests at heart. You want what's good for us. Your plans for us are to prosper us and to bless us and not to harm us. Lord, I just pray that Lord, for those who doubt whether you hear, whether you answer, bring faith, Lord, bring faith. Bring faith this morning. Lord, for those who are, Lord, and we all, in, in, in one way or another, struggle with temptation. Lord, come with, by your grace and root out those desires that look at things that are just rubbish. Lord, and replace them with a, with a love and a desire for you. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, for those of us who are struggling, going through tough times, Holy Spirit, why don't you just come, why don't you just bring that peace? Why don't you just bring that peace? Lord, why don't you just bring a sense of safety, a sense of family? Why don't you give people to people? to stand with them and to support them. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your work in our lives. We thank you that day by day you transform us from one step 
of glory into another step of glory, closer to Jesus, more like him. So we love you, Lord God. Let our lives be for your glory and praise. Lord, let your kingdom be advanced through us. Let your kingdom be advanced in Solihull. Lord, in the places that we go, the places that we work. Let your light shine through us. Let your glory shine through us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.